Welcome to the program. I'm Jeff Sheckman. For some of us, a sense of history is the only thing that gets us through each day. As divided as we are, as angry as we are, as exhausted as many of us are, history tells us that we've been there before. And while history doesn't exactly repeat itself, as Mark Twain said, it often rhymes. To better understand our current moment, the run-up to the Civil War offers many clues. We were a country going through transformation, in fact, still becoming a country, and yet it was being torn apart. Lincoln, though, with all his skills, couldn't prevent the war, but in the parlance of today, he did try to manage it. We're going to talk about that today with my guest historian, David Reynolds. David Reynolds is a distinguished professor at the Graduate Center of the City University of New York. He's the author of Walt Whitman's America, the winner of the Bancroft Prize, and the author of numerous other books of historical significance. It is my pleasure to welcome David Reynolds here to talk about his newest work, Abe, Abraham Lincoln in His Times. David, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks very much, Jeff. Well, it's, Good to it, be here. It's great to have you here. When, when Now that you have immersed yourself in this period, in, in the run-up to the war, the period before the Civil War, is it just our imagination, or are there really parallels to, to what we're experiencing today in terms of the country being so torn apart? There are parallels, um, and the parallels are is that um, it almost reaches a point in both cases where both sides, in a way, can't identify with the other side whatsoever. Um, in other words, a kind of a collapse of, of meaningful dialogue uh, so that each side really has its point of view and is kind of fixed in the point of view. And in the case of Lincoln's era, it was very geographically centered. It was the South, which um, had slavery, enslaved uh, um, African Americans, and the North, which was in general opposed to slavery. So it was very uh, geographically centered. Uh, in our case today, it's usually kind of either coast, uh, you know, the, the, the coast versus the kind of red states. And even in the red states, there are some blue areas, but um, they could be predominantly red states. Uh, so it's a little bit not quite as geographically centered, but... Um, Back then, so what happened was that uh, this all, when Lincoln was elected, 11 southern states actually left the left America. They, they formed the Confederate States of America, a different, they called themselves a different nation. They had their own constitution, their own president, uh, and so forth. And um, when they attacked federally owned property, in a, a fort in South Carolina, Sumter, South Carolina, uh, Lincoln, that was war. That was the beginning of the war. And that began four years of civil war in which 750,000 Americans died in this very bloody extended war. And Lincoln uh, managed this war uh, as well as one could possibly imagine. And he saved the American Union. What did Lincoln think about? What did he suggest in the run-up to the war in terms of trying to break the logjam of people having such divergent views and not really communicating with each other? What skills was Lincoln able to bring to that? 
Well, leading up to the war, there were the famous debates that he had with Stephen Douglas, the Lincoln-Douglas debates. That was two, three years before the war began. And he did his best, not only there, but in his speeches, other speeches, to show that the American Constitution um, was fundamentally anti-slavery in spirit. Uh, it is true that um, with three-fifths representation and with the Fugitive Slave Clause and so forth, there were certain elements in it that seemed pro-slavery, but Lincoln tried to uh, persuade Americans that the Founding Fathers, even though they had to make certain concessions to slavery, nevertheless expected slavery to die out because it was wrong. Slavery was, was wrong, and the Founders knew that it was wrong. Uh, unfortunately, his his reasoned rhetoric and his persuasive speeches did not prevent the South from uh, breaking off from the Union. So, But he, he did his best through his speeches. Did Lincoln come to the conclusion at some point that, that not only was war inevitable, that it really was the only way through this problem, that, that it was the classic case, the only way to solve a crisis is to go through it. And to that extent, there was an inevitability of war that, that really was the only solution. Did Lincoln see that? Yeah, and um, six out of seven of his immediate advisors um, just before the war broke out kept saying, well, Okay, they took over Fort Sumter in South Carolina, but let's wait and see what happens with Fort Pickens and everything like that and other forts. And but he said no, you know. Unfortunately, sadly, this this means means war. This means war. And he realized at that point that uh, it was going to take a a very big war, and and this was a war in which tens of thousands of troops would face off together on the battlefield, and uh, it was just just a terrible uh, bloodbath. And he regretted it. He didn't like it, but he had to conduct what became a very hard, tough war. Talk about his management of the war. Well, in a way, he was a beginner because, unlike his opponent Jefferson Davis, who was who had been in the Mexican War and <clears throat> had military training, Lincoln had very little military training. He read a lot of military um, books and so forth, but. He had to sort through his gen generals. At first, he went with McClellan, who turned out to be rather ineffective, and then Burnside, uh, who lost to Fredericksburg, Se several gen uh, generals, Hooker. And finally, he found uh, what he called a bulldog in, in Grant, Ulysses Grant, and also Sher Sherman, who was a, a very, very aggressive uh, fighter. And he was very good, finally, in sorting out his generals and picking through them. And in terms of his management style, he didn't really uh, surround himself with people who were personally loyal to him. Uh, several of them felt uh, superior to him and smarter. And someone said, oh, Sam and Chase, who is the Secretary of the tre Treasury, thinks he is uh, superior to you, thinks he's better than you. And, and Lincoln said, oh, really? He said, good. Can you bring me more more people like that, please? You know, yeah. you know he, he he. But but Sam and Chase was also very dedicated to getting rid of slavery. It was the shared vision of justice, of human justice. That's all he wanted. So even though Stanton, his Secretary of War, was very cantankerous and kind of nasty, 
even though William Henry Seward, his Secretary of State, uh, again thought he was superior and uh, said, I am the premier premier here of, of this administration. He knew that basically they supported the vision of human justice. So he cared about loyalty to the Union and to getting rid of slavery, not loyalty to himself. Were there Lincoln advisors that thought that war could be avoided? Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. There were um, about 200 attempts at compromise with the South uh, before the Civil War broke out. And uh, one of them was the Crittenden Compromise, and this, uh, and this would allow the South... Uh, anyway, all, all these different compromises, but, but Lincoln finally put himself... The whole question was, are we going to allow slavery to spread into the Western territories? And Lincoln said, that's one thing I will not compromise about, because the South wanted to spread into the new Western territories. Not only that, but they were talking about taking over Mexico and creating slavery, slave states down there, creating a slave state out of Cuba, taking over Cuba. And he said, no, no, I'm not, I'm, that's one thing I will not allow. And some people were saying, well, why don't we just uh, give them the southern portion of the West? He said, nope. No, he didn't want slavery to, sp- to spread any further. Talk about Lincoln's concerns during the war itself at, at various points when it was not a sure thing how this would turn out. Yeah, well, um, there are a few points when it could have gone either way. Uh, when Lee uh, invaded uh, Pennsylvania and uh, there was the Battle of Gettysburg, uh, fortunately, um, Meade, uh, the Union general at that time, defeated Lee at Gettysburg. Uh, but it was a very tight battle. At some points, it could have gone either way. And then Lee would have swept north. And the north, you see, it was not just a matter of uh, Lee coming north, but also the north at that point would have gotten really scared and said, the heck with this war. You know, there was a lot of war weariness, a we- weariness with the war. And the morale would have really, really sunk in, and, and uh, there would have been such pressure. Okay, let's let the Confederacy go its own way. Let, let it have its slavery and all of that. So, yeah, I mean, and then Antietam, which was in 1862, uh, when Lee invaded Maryland, and fortunately, McClellan stopped Lee in Maryland. But in both cases, Lincoln was just mad that the generals didn't finish off Lee's retreating army in Pennsylvania and in Maryland. He was mad at Meade and mad at McClellan that they didn't pursue Lee and, and, and really try to fin- finish off the army. But, um, yeah, there were moments. You, you talk about the war weariness. Talk about the weariness that preceded the war, because there was so much of that division and anger and tension that we talked about earlier that by the time the war actually happened, people were already exhausted. Yeah, well, literally, literally what was happening before the war was that Congress people, congressmen and uh, you know, senators and, and the House of Representatives, a lot of them came armed. Uh, they came armed in, in, into the Senate, and um, there, there were actually battles that broke out. One senator, was uh, Charles Sumner, was beaten almost to death by a pro-slavery uh, a person, a uh, congressman, and John Brown, who was an abolitionist, I wrote a book about him. 
he got so upset that he actually tried to free the slaves single-handedly by leading a band of 21 men into Virginia, hoping to spark a slave rebellion that would topple slavery. He was captured and hanged, but he became a martyr in the North. But there was so much actual, uh, in some cases, bloodshed uh, and so much division before the war that, yeah, by the time uh, Lincoln was elected, uh, people were even tired at that point of division, of division. Talk about what Lincoln was most afraid of going into the war. As the war drums became so loud, as, as we've talked about, what was Lincoln most fearful of as the war began? He was most fearful of, um, there were five border states, uh, Kentucky and Tennessee and Missouri and Maryland and uh, one other. And he was fearful um they they held, they had they were called border states uh, states because they permitted slavery they had slavery and yet they were loyal to the north they they were loyal to the U- union they were uh, the union and he said you know what if we lose Kentucky we lose everything in other words and that's why he he was kind of moderate in his public positions because. He didn't want to inflame the border states because if he if he lost one or two of those, then the North was going to lose the war. So that's why he remained relatively moderate in his public stance. Talk a little bit about that public stance versus how he really felt. Was there a disconnect with Lincoln between what he had to say publicly in order to maintain that moderation and what he felt personally? Personally, he really wanted all the enslaved people, four million enslaved people in the South to be free. And he said, um, even publicly, he said, I hate slavery as much as any abolitionist, you know. But uh, generally in public, he compared himself to Blondin. Blondin was a tightrope walker who walked across Niagara Falls many times, sometimes with a man on his back, and sometimes wish, uh, pushing a wheelbarrow. And people who said, no, you have to be more radically anti-slavery in public, who said, if Blondin uh, were on the tightrope, would you say step left or step le- step right? No, you wouldn't. You would just allow him to stay where he is in the center. He said, that's the way I am uh, in my speeches. So inwardly, he really, really hated slavery, and yet he had to be a little bit cautious publicly in his speeches because he really didn't want those border states to topple over into the Confederacy. The idea of secession, when as it evolved, what were Lincoln's thoughts about that? As you say, there were some people that said, let them go. What did Lincoln think at that point about really preserving the Union? Yeah, well, the, uh, he never could accept uh, secession. He said, for him... There was no disunited states. It was it was all all together. He said, you know, we must not be enemies. And so, he he wouldn't even use the word confederate. He he called it the so-called confederacy and everything. And when one of his generals in the north said, "Oh, we drove Lee from our soil," uh, uh, Lincoln got really mad. He said, "There's no our soil and their soil. We're all one continent. We're all uh, the American Union." He. There was part of him that just couldn't accept the idea of disunion because he said, hey, if, if you're going to have that, you might as well, uh, wh- why couldn't individual towns and counties 
secede from their states. I mean, this could go on forever, you know. Uh, so uh, the idea of secession, um, union for him was really, really uh, super important. What do we not know today about Lincoln? I mean, so much you write about, so much has, has been written over the years. What do we still not really know or understand about Lincoln? Well, there's a lot because, in a way, Lincoln was like a snail. Um, and I compare him to Walt Whitman, who was like an octopus. Uh, um, that's it. He was spreading himself kind of everywhere, and he was writing about opera and this and that and the other. And he's just Walt Whitman was kind of all over the place and put him, put his ideas on paper. But if you read the complete works of, of Lincoln, it's hard to kind of penetrate. So we don't know a lot about his, I mean, really a lot about his private life. We can kind of piece it together. And even, uh, you know, the difficulty in writing this book, I, I finally did it by assembling everything and reading all the interviews with him and everything and people who knew him. But you have to do a lot of surrounding research in order to recreate uh, his, uh, the way he was responding to his culture. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I think there's a lot more room uh, for people to write about him. You know, so much is, is talked about today about the founding generation and what they meant and what was intended, etc., with respect to the Constitution and their writings. Talk a little bit about Lincoln's attitude towards the founding generation. He idolized uh, the founders, uh, Washington and uh, Franklin and Jefferson and Thomas Paine and so forth. And um, a lot of people were interpreting them, people like Washington and Jefferson, as pro-slavery because Jefferson owned over 600 enslaved people and Washington owned enslaved people as well. But Lincoln said... And even the Constitution has certain clauses that were concessions to slavery. So a lot of people at that time interpreted the Constitution as pro-slavery. But Lincoln came along and really used his reason, his sense of history to say, it's true that they had to make concessions to slavery, but the founders basically wanted slavery to end in the long run. They put it on the path to extinction by banishing the slave trade as of 1808 and, and many other things. And he went back, he made a head count of the, of the people who wrote the Constitution. He said a majority of them were strongly anti-slavery. So he used his sense of history to really reinterpret the, uh, the founders. And he thought that in the Gettysburg Address, the essence of America is that all men are created equal, which is in the Declaration of Independence. That is the essence and the founding ideal of America. So uh, in the Gettysburg Address, he really channels all of America through the idea of human equality. Did he leave himself vulnerable to people misinterpreting that, thinking that he was in some way not so much delusional, but that it was, was just wishful thinking to want to believe that about the founders. Yeah, and, and um, he was uh, criticized, uh, actually he was criticized from the right. His party, uh, the Republicans were the, the liberals and the Democrats were the conservatives in that day. And the Democrats said, how dare you say all men are created equal? You're, you're saying that, that, that African Americans are the same as white people? 
you know, so they, they interpreted the Gettysburg Address as being really, really pro-African-American. And then others say, said, well, some of the founders were slave owners. And it is true that 12 presidents were slave owners. Twelve presidents uh, before Lincoln were, were slave owners. And most of the Supreme Court justices were, were slave owners. But he said, well, that may be very true, but uh, basically American democracy is based on the ideal of human equality. And he knew that the ideal was not, uh, did not always, uh, uh, you know, accord with or go along with reality, with human reality. But he said, basically, it's an ideal that we should always be seeking, always be trying to uh, to reach uh, in America. We have the opportunity to reach it. And he called democracy the last best hope on earth. And anything to interfere with democracy or with human justice, human rights, he was totally opposed to. How much self-awareness did he have in, in terms of his politics and his views and, and a sense of how they were playing with the public? Well, no, he was very, very self-aware uh, in that sense because he was trying to reach as many people as possible and reach out when he says um, malice toward none, charity, charity toward all. He really meant it. He was trying to reach as many Americans as possible, which is why he didn't use inflammatory language. He had used it early in his career. It didn't work. It got him into trouble. And then he decided to be much more rational and much more persuasive and, in a way, poetic also in his, in his speeches as well. And he tried to uh, speak in a language that was very clear. The reason I call my book Abe is that even though he didn't like the name Abe, he said, I rely on that name for my public image because uh, there were a lot of pictures of him in shirt sleeves uh, with an axe and splitting a rail and everything, and a frontiersman. He, he had been a frontiersman, but he, he later became a lawyer with respectable clothing and all that. But So uh, the image of Abe, the common man, was very important to him. And he was aware of it. He said, you know, I, I realize I, I got elected on that image. Bringing the conversation back to where we started in terms of some of the comparisons to today, in your view, what can we most learn as a country, and what can our leaders most take away from Lincoln in dealing with the crises we face today? It seems to me the greatest lesson one can learn is that in a time of real division, the best thing to do is not to inflame uh, partisan division by playing, let's say, to a particular base. Uh, you know, Lincoln never, uh, when he was president, would he had many, many opponents, and he had many strong supporters, but he didn't really play to his supporters, and he didn't really nastily assail his opponents. And because he knew the worst thing that you can do is to sow uh, and inflame, inflame uh, partisan uh, division. Uh, so that um, um, he really did have in mind, you know, all Americans, North and South, uh, African-American and white and p people of different minorities. He, he, he really did have uh, a compassion uh, for people of, of all uh, races and all social classes and, and of the, the two parties, too. He, he never denounced uh, Democrats, uh, which were, as I say, the conservatives of his day. 
So it seems to me that's that's really he really, he really was a, a Blondin figure, and I think that's uh, maybe the the biggest takeaway. David Reynolds, his book is Abe Abraham Lincoln in His Times. David, I thank you so much for spending time with us today. Well, thank you very very much for having me, Jeff. Thank you.